Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Brandon Jinx Jenkins. We have a new show called No Skips with Jinx and Shay. In it, we discuss the most unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus. View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Ring Your Dish. I'm Juliette Littman. It's Friday. I'm not usually on this feed this day, but with this Britney Spears story, we wanted to continue to really dig into it and cover it because it is shocking. So I hope you checked out Tea Time yesterday. Amelia gave a really great overview of kind of everything that's happened. Um, so check that out. And today we are chatting with Samantha Stark, who is the filmmaker of Framing Britney, which reignited this Britney Spears conversation I think back in February, and uh, she's been continuing to report on the conservatorship and all of the legal battles that Brittany is embroiled in. And so she is going to share her expertise and her insight with us right now. So let's get into it. Now I am joined by Samantha Stark, who is the director of the Framing Brittany documentary, which you can watch on Hulu right now if you haven't already. She's also a journalist at the New York Times. If you've been following their coverage of Britney Spears, um, likely seen her byline. Samantha, welcome to Bring Your Dish. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. I wanted to chat with you because I think that the Framing Britney doc really reignited this conversation in, in advance of her testimony this week. And I think that so many of the, the points raised in the documentary are, are really important to understanding what's kind of come out since um, since the, the documentary. And I guess like, just, just to begin with, you know, the kind of the, the, think a lot of the big takeaways that people seem to be focusing on from the 23 minute testimony she gave this week was about um, what she didn't, didn't know about the conservatorship, her, the extent of the privacy sort of agency over her own life. And to me, a really stark different tone than I, we've been getting used to from her Instagram over the last few years. So I'm, I'm curious to you as someone who's been so steeped in this space, like what was the most surprising part of, of the speech that she gave? I don't even know if I should call it a speech, but anyway, carry on. Yeah, I guess so to, to give a little background of what I'll say, we, um, we did an investigation, uh, after the, the documentary, which I think showed a lot 
uh, about how the, you know, the misogyny and the, and the way we saw her um, affected, I think, this, um, uh, this idea that we, we didn't see what was going on. Like, I think everyone was super surprised what happened in the courtroom because, um, because there was such a narrative that Brittany is a little girl who needs protection. And, you know, I think a lot of that was, um, is a result of what we saw in the documentary of the, of the coverage of her throughout her life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we did this investigation where we found court documents that showed that Brittany had been, uh, asking like ag- aggressively for years to end the conservatorship saying it was oppressive, um, you know, controlling, asking specifically saying her dad is unfit to do this. And um, they've had such a complicated and abusive relationship throughout their life. So when she spoke and said all these things out loud, I think I kind of uh, knew all the, knew a lot of the things from my reporting and from a lot of background conversations that we um, couldn't get on the record, but had heard. And um, I think, you know, there's the the most uh, extreme thing. I mean, it's it's incredible to hear Brittany speak in her own words. It, it was thrilling for me as someone who has been researching and talking to people who know her and, and learning about her situation for a year. It's been basically a year since we started uh, the Framing uh, Britney Spears documentary. Wow. Yeah. Um, so to hear her say everything that has been happening to her, things that stood out for me is she said, I've been, uh, I was put in a mental health facility against my will and making to take lithium, uh, which felt like they were drugging me that I'd never taken before. And, and not only that, but she said that she felt that was retaliation for standing up for herself. Mm. She said it, it was punishment. She gets punished a lot. Um, this idea also, she said she was forced to perform against her will um, and forced, you know, forced to go on a tour that she didn't want to go on. I mean, the, and she compared what was happening to her to trafficking, to human trafficking, you know, yeah. she said, she said in so many words, like I'm being isolated, forced to work and drugged. Um, and I think that surprised a lot of people. It didn't surprise me, but it um, surprised what surprised me is that she said all that and no one, not the judge, not all the lawyers in the room. No one said we need to investigate this immediately. You said you're being abused. Like, let's put a plan into place to investigate this. Let's take you away from the people you're telling us are abusing you. Nothing. She went yeah. back to the exact same situation as she's in with the exact same people. And I find that shocking and angering. I know. How is... That's like... I didn't really think about it that way, which is... I don't know why not. But like, how is this allowed to continue? I mean... It seems like she thinks, and I don't know if this is true. I'm curious if it is. It seems like she thinks her only recourse is to sue her, is to get out of this conservatorship and sue her family, which she said in the in the testimony as well. She's like, I want to sue my family. And she said it so emphatically, I found that really jarring. But why isn't there some kind of intervention? Like, what is what is going on? And you, I think you guys actually wrote about this today about how it reflects on her lawyer. Like, why is she just going back to the exact same situation? Yeah, I mean... So I think I think you're right. Like um, the revelations were so shocking to most people that everyone is still reeling from that. Um, this idea that she really wants to have a, a baby and get yeah. married, and she has an IUD that they won't let her take out. I mean, that's very shocking because it shows how much this is um, not only controlling her life, but putting it like making her life go in the direction she doesn't want. Um, and I, so I think everyone was was reeling from that and not 
um, taking a step back and thinking about like, hold on, why are the why is the judge and the lawyers congratulating her for sharing her story? And you know, she even when the judge said uh, that takes a lot of courage to share your story, she even said, "I told you this in 2019," yeah. which our investigation also showed because we we got those uh, sealed court documents. Wow! Um, and you did nothing. Um, when I talked to you, I felt like I was dead. I felt like I didn't matter. Uh, and none of them said that's not how it's supposed to be. Like I'll investigate. Right. And my um, understanding is that it appears like there's not protocol for that. It appears like the system has so little oversight that there's not a protocol for like when a conservative says they're being abused, X, Y, Z happens. When a conservative says they, um, they will get punished if they say, if they speak their mind, there's no uh, protection for retaliation. She had been, she said this in 2019, and now it's two years later with the same people in charge. What kind of retaliation against her could have happened since then? She said she felt that uh, a way they punished her was by taking away visits with her children and her boyfriend. Like, can you imagine what we know no. from, from a lot of research that it really appears like one of the main reasons uh, Brittany has been so seemingly complacent in the situation is that she was worried about having visits with her kids taken away. And she said that even happened. And then there's no, there's no uh, protocol in the system, oversight in the system to make sure that doesn't happen. And, you know, there's this huge conflict of interest that we keep highlighting in the system, which is that Brittany pays for all the lawyers on both sides. Right. Uh, she pays for her own lawyer who she did not choose. Sometimes he has made millions of dollars over the course of of representing her for 13 years. Um, she was deemed incapable of choosing her own lawyer, um, you know, questionably by a, a judge in on the very first day that uh, her conservatorship was um, applied for before it was even approved. She had a, a assigned this, this lawyer, Sam Ingham, to Brittany, and then she deemed her incapable. And there's it appears like there's nothing in the system to go back and, and see like, oh, is she if even if we deem her incapable, which I find suspect, like, is she still incapable right. 13 years later? And, you know, she said in court, uh, I didn't know I could petition to end the conservatorship. Right. And that put a big spotlight on her lawyer, which we wrote about uh, yesterday, because, you know... It's his job as his lawyer yeah. to to represent her to the best of his abilities. And he doesn't work for the conservatorship. He's supposed to work for her, right? Uh, it doesn't appear so, because she's not... Like, she doesn't have the rights of, a, of an adult. Um, yeah. I mean, it does appear so. No, no, that's definitely what it's supposed to be. Like, the job of the court-appointed attorney is to uh, argue for the and communicate his the conservatee's wishes. Right. Um, and he, you know, we showed examples in our story that he did not appear to advocate for her in the way he should. But an egregious example is this idea. She didn't know she could petition to end it. Right. Particularly because her father's lawyers, that's like the party line that they've been giving for years. Brittany has the right to petition to and this, and she hasn't. And that's like, they've been putting out this narrative that she's fine with it specifically for that reason. So the idea that no one told her she could do that, and they're still saying, like, their reasoning is that she knew she could do it and didn't, um, is, points out such a, a hole in the system and so many conflicts of interest. 
Can I ask you a question? And this might seem small, but what do you think is happening with her Instagram? Because that has been a way for her to seemingly communicate with her fans. And there was, I think, a t- like about six weeks ago or so, there was a post where she was refuting a story and she, about a makeup, art, a makeup artist speaking for her. And she's like, I don't even know who that person is. And for me, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm like a child of the Britney Spears era. So like she's been a folk, she's been famous as almost as long as I'm conscious. So like I've been following Britney, but I'm not so deep in the free Britney world to really understand some of the like nuances. And I'm curious, like from your reporting, who do you think runs her social media channels? And like, who do you think? And and the reason I ask is because I think it it contributes to that narrative you just mentioned of Britney, like being okay with this. So like who, who is responsible for that? And, and, and like, why are they doing that? So, I mean, here's the thing, like, I, I always make a really big point to say like uh, a post that uh, appeared on Britney's social media account, because when we say on hers, she posted this. Um, I, I think that's making assumptions that to me, for my reporting, I mean, this woman is she told us she's locked away. She's not allowed yeah. to tell her story. She said she wanted to tell her story, but uh, was prevented from doing so. She, uh, We know legally her conservator can control every single person she interacts with, except for one person, which is her court-appointed attorney. Uh, we know that she feels isolated. She feels like she's locked in her home. She has security around her 24-7. She can't get out of the car when she's driving why would she be able to have access yeah. to a social media account where she could say anything she wanted to the world? Like, right. it, it, like fact, I mean, just like uh, objectively, it doesn't make sense. So I, to me, I can't um, believe that I, I can't use the words like she posted, she said this because it, it feels like it's like a statement appearing on her Instagram. Right. Um, I don't know who, who runs it. I think there could, there's a lot of different ideas. I know she said yesterday or Wednesday in her, um, in her speech to the court that, uh, she feels like she also wants to sue her management. She, she mentioned yeah. her family, but she mentioned her management and she mentioned feeling forced by them to tour and that her manager called her therapist to like tell on her. So we know that that is not a normal relationship. Like why in the world would your, your manager be connected to your therapist? So um, I guess what I'm saying, and, oh, you know, uh, something very powerful. There was this video that was posted on Britney's Instagram where she said, I'm fine. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. And in court, she said very powerfully, I told you all I was fine. It was a lie. I'm depressed. I cry every day. I'm not happy. Uh, I'm so angry. It's insane. That's what she said. So uh, that Instagram account, uh, somebody one day will have to like uh, excavate it and write thesis projects on it. I think <laughs> once we like find out what was happening, so I but I don't know who runs it. What what happens next legally? Like where? Like do you? What are the what are the next benchmarks that people should be aware of? And what do you think happens? One of the most uh, shocking and striking things about the court uh, hearing on Wednesday is that they they ended it without a plan. There was nothing set in place for what the next steps are. Brittany said, I'm abused and I get punished if I tell you the truth, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. And no next steps were established. 
Right. And there's no like, there's not even like a welfare check like you would do for like children where they say like, I'm being abused. There's no one checking on her, it seems like. And I think I, in, uh, in the way our court system works, like the ideal situation with children is that if they say they're being abused, they get removed from that house immediately. And that's not what happened to her. Yeah. Um, but I think the judge, basically the judge said, um, we need an official petition filed to end the conservatorship. I'm not going to like, you know, hit my gavel and end it today. Um, and Sam Ingham, Brittany's lawyer said, I have to consult with my client to see if she wants to petition to end it, which is just like, so it really points out the tone of these court hearings Yeah, uh, because obviously it seemed ridiculous to people watching since she had just said for 23 minutes, all the reasons she wanted to end it and that she did. Um, so I guess that's the next step, him filing to petition, you know, it's, uh, two days later and we haven't seen a petition yet. And I actually... Um, thought at this point that he would file one immediately, um, but maybe he hadn't started one yet. So he's working on it. I don't know. That's speculation. But I guess the next step would be that another thing she said is she wanted um, changes in her in her quote care plan. Um, she doesn't like her therapist. She doesn't like where she has to see him. Um, so I think that is something the judge like indicated should should happen um, soon. And so I guess we're looking for those two things. Another thing is um, the judge said that they could file so that Brittany could choose her own attorney. Mm. Um, But it's confusing to me how that would happen because it seems like her court appointed attorney would have to file for her to be able to choose an attorney that's not him. Right. Um, But basically, I guess those three things are the things the judge indicated could happen, although she did not give a plan for like how and when they would happen. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! 
This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Question for you. Were you able to watch the uh, watch live or did you? Yeah, I was in the courtroom. Oh, you were. Wow. Wow. Where in California? Yeah, it's at the Stanley Mosque Courthouse in downtown Los Angeles. Oh, wow. What was it like in the room? I've gone to several of these before, but only during the pandemic. So what usually happens is they it's it's kind of odd because the only people in the court are they are allowed they allow 10 people to watch because of social distancing and then it's just the judge and like the you know the court reporters and and stuff on the side but there's nobody like actually in the place where the lawyers would be um and they just used to play it just over audio but this time they had turned and but the judge would watch it on like a zoom panels um they turned it so that we could see it and something that was so striking which i wish he as a filmmaker like i wish that we had been able to capture that they don't let cameras ever in the courtroom for this but um britney was only in audio so while that whole 23 minutes while you were hearing her voice saying all these things uh, I've been abused. I've been forced. I, I feel trafficked. Um, all you could see was all the lawyers who have been overseeing this for 13 years. And there was a lot of lawyers. And you know that she's paying all of them to put her in this to help a, a parent. To enable all this. Yeah, it it appears that way. And so you could uh, you could see they were all trying to have emotionalist faces like it was they were trying so hard to have straight faces. It looked like to me and just the the it was visually striking to watch them while hearing her Um, and and then also to realize I thought they would all like somebody would say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize this. What can we do to make it better? Nobody did. They, they, and, and because their faces were so stoic, it appeared from the audience, like they were just, um, glossing over that 23 minutes of, um, that's crazy. Is her family in the room or are they listening on, on the zoom? Um, both her parents were, um, there, but on audio only as well. Wow. That is just so, so wild. And I think one thing we've touched on, but I wanted to come back to really ties back into the film is this IUD um, that she's being forced to to can have in her body. And obviously it's birth control. Um, I have to say, like, it, it, I'm even I wonder how she's even able to have a relationship. Like, I was wondering, like, how they monitor her relationship with her boyfriend. Uh, but that's kind of besides the point. But, you know, to not even give her agency over her body I think really struck a chord with me because in the film, you really realize how damaging this sort of like hypersexualization was of her from a really young age. And now it's like this overcorrection where she's been stripped of any bodily and sexual agency. And I, I guess, you know, to you having told this story, like, how do you think that that should even, like, what are we supposed to make of that? Like, does that become a part of this, free Britney movement. And I don't, I don't want to like trivialize it by making it political, but, or like, you know, part of a cause, but it's just such an important note about like the agency she has in her life. And I'm just curious, like how that sat with you. Yeah. I mean, from talking to so many people um, about this, the sexualization part, like actually what it appeared to me was that 
you know, she was seven, 17 uh, and a lot of teenagers are discovering their sexuality. Like, I think a lot of, uh, you know, the clothes she was wearing and everything were what my friends and I in high school wore. And I think the issue that happened was that adults were, uh, you know, humiliating her about it and, and telling her she's horrible for doing it and criticizing her um, and judging her over and over. And that made it like appear more sexual than it was mm. in a way. Yeah. Um, and something that I also in the documentary is about agency over her own body was that she, this um, stalking, I, I always call it stalking because it fits the definition of stalking um, that the paparazzi were doing to her. Uh, really made it so she didn't have agency over her own body because I watched hours and hours of footage of like uh, video footage of what it, of uh, all the paparazzi like because uh, mm-hmm. we were working with one of the only guys that was actually videotaping most people were taking pictures and so I was watching hours and hours of this and there were so many times where she was trying to move her body from one place to another and they were blocking her she couldn't go anywhere and she also has said many times and it, um, it's obviously true that she felt locked inside her house because anytime she tried to go anywhere, she would be stalked by all these people. And that yeah. is like really taking away her physical autonomy. And so I do think it translates right into what she's saying now. I mean, saying that she was forced to perform, that's like forced w- with what to do with your body too. Yeah. Um, and then this IUD thing, I think forced sterilization is historically like a signal of oppression. It's happened yeah. so many times throughout history and it's, um, it's, so I think that like was a light bulb moment for a lot of people and a, and a really easy thing to point to, to say like, she is being forcibly sterilized essentially. And that we know is like, uh, happens when, when there's extreme oppression of a, of a group of people. And I mean, you know, there's a focus on what to do with her body, but she has been saying for years, and we know from these court documents that we found in 2014, I want to retire. I want to get married. I want to have a baby. Um, And she has been, uh, it appears like, I mean, we saw her say it in 2014. We don't know how much earlier she said it, that she's been stopped from doing that. Yeah. And it, it is confusing to me why she has a boyfriend because like it shows how she shouldn't be, how it's so, um, convoluted that she's even in this situation because how in the world could you consent to a relationship if you're deemed incapable of providing food, clothing, and shelter for yourself? Yeah. I'm confused about how she meets people. Like that was kind of my question. Like I, like I know, I know, you know, you could Google that, but I just mean like, on like a very basic level. Like how do people come in and out of her life when everything is so controlled and um, it's, it it was just really confusing to me. The whole thing is is just so sad, and I think that also the to me one of the the implications is that she's being forced to work to maintain this economy of oppression around her. Essentially, I mean, she's like basically like imprisoned in this life that she doesn't want to be in because all of the language right. that we're using is like of a of a prisoner. I mean, a lot also a lot of women who um, are incarcerated will get sterilized unbeknownst to them. Like they'll they'll have. I actually worked on a book related to this a few years ago where incarcerated women will have like some medical condition and then they'll wake up and they've like been sterilized or they've had like a hysterectomy and like they didn't, they didn't even know it. And it's hard. It's so, so horrible. I mean, it's just like, and I, and I think one thing that also has, has struck me is that even in the wake of the documentary, and I think that framing Brittany also ignited this conversations about Lindsay Lohan and 
I think even Courtney Stodden, who's been back in the news, I think that part of one of the reasons why that Courtney Stodden's story is being looked at differently is because of the way that some of this, the tabloid sensationalism of that era is being relitigated in part because of the film. And yet so much of the emphasis on, on, on what's happening to Britney, I would say like her commentary about like self-care and wanting to get massages and acupuncture and manicures is like almost seen as like something flippant. Whereas like acupuncture has like real therapeutic value. And there's still something about the coverage of Britney. And I don't think that that your coverage is like this, but a lot of it really doesn't give her the credit of being like a sentient adult. And it's just sort of, it's just sort of like, it's just really sad. And I think it, it's so hard to dismantle your celebrity persona when it's been so ensconced outside of your hands for so long. And I, it's so hard for me to understand how we got to this point and how she got to this point with her family. It's just, it's pure, it's just totally tragic. I don't even know what else, how else to describe it. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, it appears to me like it's this twisted, it's twisted because there's so many people who stood to profit off of her. Mm -hmm. Um, she even said it in court, uh, I like, you know, she was said, I've been doing a lot of research and, you know, part of it is not providing, she said something they said, a part of it's not providing, being able to provide for yourself. I've been providing for myself and everybody on my tour and for all of you for years. I mean, it's, it's so blatant and audacious. And I think it points to a system in which, um, people have gotten away with this for many years, um, with people who are not Britney Spears. So it it really, um, very vulnerable people uh, get put in conservatorships, particularly people with a lot of money. And there's a lot of lawyers and people around them that make a lot of money. Um, I think it's sad to me that people picked out the the manicure uh, comment. You know, she said, uh, during COVID, they told me I couldn't leave at all, but I saw people come into my house with manicures and... um, haircuts and why couldn't I do that? And I think I know people would respond to that as flippant when she said that in the courtroom was kind of like, oh, why did she say that? You know, but to me, it points to this idea that those things are one that are seemingly some of the only times Brittany gets to interact with other humans. Right. And, and I think she thought she's been going through this for so long that if they're telling her, you cannot leave your house for over a year and she sees that other people do, and the only way she can see that is through seeing that people have manicures when they come to visit her. Like that really points to this idea of this imprisonment that we've been talking about. What has the response been when you try to interview her father? It, we're directed to a spokesperson for Vivian Thorin, um, his new litigator who we actually interviewed in our film before she rejoined um, her father's team. Uh, we're, we're pointed to her her PR person um, who like will give statements or say no mm-hmm. comment. And the um, the shocking, I guess, the striking thing about that, another striking thing is that we know from court documents from her petition that she filed for $890,000 for four months of work, which is uh, approximately $10,000 a work day for her and her um, team services, that she's been paying between $500 and $900 an hour for PR and communications, like crisis communications people. So when we go to her father for a statement, we can see that they're billing Brittany for that, for him to say. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we um, went to Kentwood to 
uh, for part of, for writing our story. And we left a note. Uh, we, uh, figured out through, you know, asking a bunch of people around town that he's living in this RV, um, on the grounds of this warehouse that stores her stuff from her tours. Oh my God. Um, we left a note on his gate, but he didn't respond. Shocked. Um, and what about her sister, Jamie Lynn Spears? Cause she was just on a big Netflix show. Like she's kind of out, she's out there. What, what's the response like when you try to talk to her? Um, I mean, she just doesn't talk like there's no response. Um, and I think you can see it's just it's so fascinating to me that she posts all these Instagram posts as all this is going on as if nothing's happening. And I mean, you can take from that what you will, but it, it's um, it's twisted that no one's speaking out. I mean, I know that they've been burned by the press for years in the past. Sure. And Brittany has too. But at, so I understood that when, when we were like before we were making the documentary that so many people kept saying no in her family. But at this point, it's, it is very striking that she's not saying anything. And I don't want to let her mom off the hook. I think she's a, she's less of a player in this, but certainly Brittany, I think implicated her as being at least, at least complicit in what's happening. Have you tried to interview her as well? You know, I think something that's different about her mom is that she was there. She, I mean, she was in there during the court hearing because she hired a lawyer who has uh, advocated for, for Brittany uh, over the course of it. He, he was the only one who pointed out, like, we have to take what she said seriously. So like, what's the action plan? Um, and he represents her, she, you know, she she filed uh, officially her support of removing her father um, and also um, I filed as an interested party um, in 2019 after her lawyer communicated the story that uh, her father said Britney's like a racehorse and should be treated like one. And that made her... Uh, you know, decide to do this. It's unclear what the deal with uh, her or the family is because we know that Brittany is so isolated and that her father, who has a history of an abusive relationship with them, is the one um, who pays the security that's around her 24-7, who decides where she lives, decides where she is. So, or until up until recently, he decided uh, where you know, what her day-to-day life is like, but he still pays the security because he's in charge of her estate. So it's unclear like what they've been trying to do or not do or who, I mean, what's happening there. But it feels like the, that uh, her mom was trying through the court to stand up to her father um, recently, but uh, we haven't seen that happen uh, in the court in the past. Wow. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing all this insight. Uh, We'll keep reading and watching your work through the times. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you. This special episode of Ring Your Dish was produced by Craig Coralbeck, and we'll be back with our regular scheduled programming next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.